Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. I'm Zachary Bader-Shamai. And I am Eddie Meredith. And we have finally now crossed the halfway point of this OUA season. And there's been so many surprises, both positive and negative for different teams. I think it's got to be hands down the biggest surprise. Western Mustangs somehow still undefeated though, right? Shocker. I don't know how this is happening. I mean, OUA watchers are definitely taking note of this team. Um, if that wasn't blatantly sarcastic, I don't know the meaning of the word. But, you know, obviously that game a little disappointing, but still a ton of ton of very interesting and playoff impactful things going on this week. Yeah, some upsets, lots of stuff happening everywhere. And uh, I think the OUA is it's starting to show that it's going to be a game of musical chairs for those playoff spots. Yeah, if only we could just like take Western out of the mix, it would probably be a really intriguing conference. But it's starting to look like, well, maybe a little bit like last year repeated. But, well... That might just be how the cookie crumbles this year. Yeah, Western's looking pretty un- unstoppable, but you never know, right? I mean, things can still uh, take form, right? It was Western who, their second half form last year, the way they, they rounded into form was what told the tale of the tape for their playoff run. You never know if another OUA team might be able to make sort of a second half transformation. That's true, and we're definitely seeing a few teams starting to really build on the first half of the season and taking big strides, and we'll get into all of that um, as we go through our review, as we do in this order, we'll talk about the Laurier-Mac game, a real close one there. Bit of a surprise for a lot of us. Uh, then into York-Ottawa, Carleton-Toronto, Western-Waterloo, and finishing off with the Queens-Guelph game. Yeah, and then afterwards, we'll take you around uh, the rest of the country to just have a look at scores and see how things are, are, uh, are taking form out west and in Quebec. And we might even comment on the AUS, although <laughs> I, I don't, you know, really care about the AUS. But, you know, uh, <laughs> save that for another day, that, that discussion. And we'll also do previews of the, the, the games to come, obviously, and have a look at sort of what it would take for each team to make it into the playoffs. Yeah, at this point. Yeah. It's a mess. Yeah, at this point in the season, there's obviously so – I mean, there's still a lot, of, a lot of games to be played, but there's we're starting to see teams where – even though we might have thought that they were a lock for playoffs, it's starting to look pretty ugly. There's a specific team in my mind close to my heart that I'm referring to there, but we'll get into <laughs> all of that down the road. So, yep. uh, so welcome. Welcome. lot on our plate. Let's jump right into it. So starting off with Mac Laurier, this game was in Hamilton, and it was a, it was a McMaster victory, taking this one 21-20. Uh, a game that I think last week, uh, including our guest Russ, Across the board, we thought this was going to be a Laurier victory. Uh, me and Russell a little stronger willed in terms of how, you know, um, what the point differential would have been. But I think across the board, we thought this was going to be a Laurier victory coming off that loss in the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah, you always expect someone to rebound after an upset loss, an emotional loss. And we didn't really see that. I mean, it's not as though they played terribly, but it didn't look like a Laurier game, really. I mean, at least offensively it didn't. Defensively, they looked pretty good offensively they didn't have the magic no and you know not to not to say that it was just a poor game by uh by by Laurier but you know McMaster's starting to show that despite a very slow and rough start that they're forming into a team that like we usually see every year is in the conversation at least if not in the top tier in the OUA but amongst the next grouping and they're really starting to take form now yeah the offense and the defense they're starting to they're absolutely starting to take form and you know, they did just enough on both sides of the ball. A little bit more maybe on defense than on offense. They're still, they're still working on their game on offense. I mean, obviously passing the ball is uh, something they, 
they've struggled with so far this year. Yeah, a bit of an ugly one. If if you didn't catch this one, uh, you know, Duick obviously doing enough to prevent them from losing the game, but the stats as they as they read out, twelve for twenty six, one seventy seven, and uh, one touchdown to three picks, and uh, you know that's not gonna win you very many games. It's probably gonna fact lose you more than it'll win so yeah yeah and and, you know it wasn't it wasn't a great game for him but you know what I think at least if you're looking at the picks you know one of them he was getting hit while he threw it so it was batted up uh one of them was just an incredible play on the ball by uh, Deshaun Johnson the corner uh, boundary corner on Laurier and then one of them was I don't know I don't know if that was him I don't know if that was a receiver miscue Mm. whatever it was it looks pretty bad but he also had some very effective drives, right? He also distributed the ball decently well and kept the ball moving. And that, coupled with their effective run game of Jordan Lyons, proved to be enough. And so they had some really great drives. And they, I mean, defensively, they did enough to keep them in the game. Definitely. And you know what? Um, the one thing that I, I, I liked seeing or perhaps something that I didn't see was that the brain trust, the offensive brain trust of Knox Flaxman, of course, having – you know, um, Knox making uh, or Knox Quinlan and Flaxman uh, decide to just just stick with Duke at this point. They obviously bounced you know around with different quarterbacks, uh, Jackson White to start the season, moving in with Duke and, and going back and forth. That they just stuck with him because at this point in the season, not to say you're nothing's written in stone on your teams, but you really have to start refining things at this point if you haven't already. Well, just to clarify, they did bring in Jackson for some goal line downs. So well, he's they, got the big body. Yeah, they, he does, He's a big dude. I mean, Dua can run too, and he's pretty mm. big also, but they did bring Jackson in for some goal line stuff. Um, not too many snaps. I think maybe two or three total. Yeah. So he is involved in that capacity. Um, but yes, they did stick with, with uh, Dua in terms of, of throwing the ball around and yeah, I mean, it is one of those games. I'm going to say it again, like, just enough, right? Yeah. I mean, you had pretty good receiver play to, to help sort of bail him out a couple of times. And Jordan Lyons really is the star of the game for McMaster offensively, at least. He had a great game, really grinding it out between the tackles. Against the Laurier front, that was a little depleted. I didn't see Alfred Green out there, one of their defensive ends. I didn't see Robbie Smith, the other defensive end who was, you know, highly impactful. And... That that sort of weakened them a little bit up front. They still had big Trayvon James and Zachariah Halfron and um, uh, Mr. Achenpong inside, and then you know they would play some combination of D tackle and D end those three. So I mean they were still effective, but this wasn't a Laurier front at complete capacity. It's still also not a McMaster offense in its you know perfect or final sure. form, right? You, you're missing still Hurley and Justice Allen and feel like they might be missing someone else also but they're 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 getting guys back they have mm. neil back they have levi paul back they have xander tuchinski still out there he hasn't he hasn't left uh but they're they're still you know no everyone's not sort of at full health and, and that's kind of the way it is at this point in the season always yeah and but just you, you see you brought up neil's name i'll get to him in a second both teams obviously were able to run the ball effectively you mentioned jordan lines but he was able to do uh 117 on 21 carries the one touchdown for the Golden Hawks, you know, going to their horse, Lavandre Gordon, 119, one touchdown himself. But both these, uh, or both these teams, Laurier much more so, um, have at least weapons in the passing game. Uh, Max obviously struggled a little bit in that area. But so we mentioned Tommy Neal's name, very quiet on the stat sheet, very quiet. As was the reigning MVP for the Laurier Golden Hawks in Curly Gittens Jr. Yeah, and so definitely a bit of a surprise when you see. 
I mean, I, I guess it, it's one of those classic questions of, you know, was it, do you call it a defensive battle game or was it an ugly offensive game? But, you know, regardless, those are guys that you generally, even if it's a poor offensive showing or just a really good defensive game, you still expect to see a little bit more production. I mean, this has this has got to be one of Gittins' – I mean, I don't, I don't want to say worst games, but, like, least productive this games. This is his worst game. It, it, you can say that. Yeah. that. That's not a hot take. Curley's an incredible player. He's – if he's not the best receiver in the conference, he's number two. He was the OUA MVP last yeah. year for good reason, and no one's disputing that. But he had a couple of drops. He had a muffed punt return that that was big. That that got Mac on the board early mm. um, because he, you know, he he muffed the punt return, and I believe it was Mitch Garland who got down on coverage and batted the ball out of bounds, which is all you have to do uh, when when the uh, possession is in is not had by the other team, yeah. you know, firmly. So. That, that got Mac the ball in great field position, setting up an early score. This was a bad game for Curley. And part of it was McMaster's defensive backs played an outstanding game, like everywhere. They played a really, really good game. The stat sheet bears it out. Tristan Arndt only throwing for 199 yards. Curley having 44 of those yards only. That tells you most of what you need to know. I mean, Brenton Hall, I don't even know if these stats are right. Brenton Hall, had I thought he had a better day than 4 for 22. He had a nice... End zone corner touchdown catch, but I I was I was thoroughly impressed. But Laurie also had a good day running the ball, and I think a better day than even the stat sheet shows because they were extremely effective and were running at will in the first half. I mean, the first drive of the game, they had they drove the whole field running more than they passed. Mm-hmm. So I was very impressed with what they did formationally. Also, I thought I thought if you watched this game, if you watched the first half specifically. You'll see Laurier do some very cool stuff formationally. They brought the demon package out, which is something that demon that, package, demon out. package. So that's what we called it at Western when <laughs> I was there, where you have a fullback, a running back, and a W in the backfield. Okay. In sort of what I think they called like the reverse, um, what do they call it? reverse diamond? Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, so you have the 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 quarterback, you know, at four or five yards depth, you know, shotgun depth, mm-hmm. and then you have them flanked on either side by a fullback and a W and the running back behind him. And they would go from that, and then they would motion all three of those guys, plus Curly or one of the receivers, across the formation. So they would go by from a, a one by two, where they have one receiver to the field, two to the boundary, and this demon three formation in the, in, yeah. in the backfield. And then they would bring it; they'd make it a five by one. So it was pretty cool what they were doing. I mean, they were, they were getting mismatches, and they were finding, you know, they're they're finding ways to put the max secondary in a bind, and and test all of their formational adjustments and they did a great job of that they also they had some great formational motions where they were bringing in um uh, nick peterman funnily enough the uh the younger brother of dan peterman as we all uh <laughs> remember from his days at mcmaster and they were bringing him in and running the ball with him or using mm. him to iso on a backer inside and then sort of leaving a defensive back who was covering him kind of lost in space so i i thought you know Lorray did some really awesome stuff, and their offensive line played a good enough game. I, I thought they did pretty well. They got some movement, and they they just always get on their assignments, right? Like these guys just don't have any busts, as yeah. far as I can tell. I mean, Irv's got to be <clears throat> one of the one of the one of the just stalwart offensive he's, line coaches in this league. Yeah, absolutely. Probably across the country, I'd he's, imagine. Uh, he's he's fantastic, and and he showed you that you know, like he can take a unit that is. This is not a huge unit. This is not a very big unit. They're not super fast. This isn't a shot at any of them. They're just 
they're not, they're not physically one of the best offensive lines. Yeah. But they play very effectively, and they did today. Mm-hmm. So a better game than they had against uh, Waterloo, in my opinion. A quote that I, I, a former coach of mine said about Irv that, I, I mean, I love it just for the sort of the imagery of it, even though it kind of flies in the face of me not eating meat, is that Irv will take, he'll take ground beef and turn it into, you know, A-grade steaks or whatever. I'm sure someone a little more versed in, in that world can, uh, you know, bring a little more light into the analogy. But just the point being that, like, he doesn't need the best talent. And once again, this isn't a shot at anyone on that line. But that, you know, just really to highlight the value of proper, proper coaching when you take young kids coming in who, you know, in high, yeah. you know, in high school they probably just dominated based on physical stature and stuff, but now turning them into real offensive linemen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like if you watch Bryce Bell, one of their one of their tackles, he's a young guy, he's in year two, and he's obviously he's not as big as sort of any of the guys you would think of as being the elite tackles in the conference. The Dave Browns, the Stark Zalas, the McGreers, the Jesse mm-hmm. Gibbons. He's not their size. He's not as strong as them. He's not as fast as them yet. But technically, I'm watching this guy. I'm like, yeah, this guy plays a great game. Like he's just his hands are in the right place. His feet are in the right place. Yeah. He's He's doing good stuff all over the place. He can't get big push yet, but he's like everything is right about his game that I'm seeing right now. And I think that holds true for a lot of these guys. I mean, yeah. you know, I have my criticisms about everyone and, and I can sing the praises about people too, but it just, they're technically very sound. They play together as a unit well. Their fullbacks play together with mm. them well. So that's one of the big things about this team is very few teams have the sort of the depth at fullback that, that Laurier does. One day, of course, they like to use that double tight and do all those stuff to really give themselves advantages in the box. So, you know, big ups to how they're orchestrating that run game. Correct. But, they they also use a, a double, a two extra offensive linemen set mm. where they brought in, uh, I think it's Alex Pigozzo and um, Braden Knoll, if I'm, if I'm getting those right. They'd bring those guys in and then also go double tight on top of that. Ooh. So they, they just they did <laughs> watch the first half of that game. Michael Folds, very innovative mm-hmm. offensive guy, did great stuff. Uh, very, very fun to watch. Now, a name you mentioned for Mac when we talked about the girly fumble was Mitch Garland, mm. whose name came up again and perhaps even in in greater magnitude later on late in the third quarter as he um, picked off Arndt, took it back to the house. A bit of a, I mean, not, not the most glorious pick six in terms of making a break on a ball or anything like that, but what turned out to be the difference in the game. So big ups to Garland for really... You know, obviously it's it's a long game. There's so many things that come into play, but when you look at highlight plays and those kind of um, sudden change moments, he created a lot of noise for them this game. Yeah, he found himself in the right place at the right time. That's on a, what yeah. on a couple of occasions occasions today, and he made no mistakes, right? So he did he did a great job uh, pursuing that batted ball or whatever you want to call it that aren't through under duress. He had um, Mitch Lyons in his face. Mitch, not Jordan. This is the <laughs> defensive tackle for McMaster. The SAS boy. The SAS boy, yeah, the CJFL guy who um, – this this was sort of a bit of a – it would have been a covered sack had he been sacked, had he been gotten down because the protection was okay. Um, but Lions got off late off of – I think he was on uh, Drew Marleitner. And he got off late and he, he got some pressure, was sort of pushing Tristan. Tristan ill-advised throw. Uh, I don't know who he was trying to throw to. I mean, I just didn't see. And then, yeah, Mitch broke on it and, and made no mistake, ran it in. So, yeah, he was obviously, you know, kind of player of the game for them. I mean, two turnovers forced and uh, the touchdown. So that, that was fantastic. But not to be lost in the shuffle is how well the rest of the MAC defensive backs play it. I mean, it doesn't show up in any sort of 
super eye-popping way on the stat sheet, but Noah Hallett, you know, he had he had four and a half total tackles on the day. He's credited with one pass breakup. I think he should have had maybe two or three credited to him. He was very tight in coverage. He laid some big hits. He was he was everywhere. And uh, I mean, I, I think you could you could sort of look around. I mean, Nolan Putt had a pick. That was a really really nice play. Um, I think uh, there's Sam. Eric Blake had a he had a pick that was called back on a pass interference call. I think maybe also by Garland. I forget. I don't quote me, <laughs> or do quote me. I'll just be wrong. <laughs> and uh, it was there was a PI call, but it sort of didn't really affect the play because it, it like the Sam was trailing the receiver who he picked it off of. Right. The receiver didn't really have a chance on the ball, and then uh, I again I think it was Garland, but I could be wrong came in and, and sort of clocked him just maybe a split second before the ball got mm-hmm. to the receiver. So, But it wasn't getting to the receiver. So, again, one of those picks that um, I guess you could say it's a good penalty or you could say it's a bad penalty and where you fall on that side of the issue probably will be determined by who you're cheering for. So, <laughs> As is most. As, as, as is most as, is, as it often is. Yeah. As it often is. Yeah. And, um, you know, but – Despite some miscues on both sides of the ball, Laurier is still in position to take this game at the end. Um, but similarly, in another game we saw this week that we'll get into later in the Queens Guelph game, uh, a costly missed field goal that would have won the game from a guy that you know we expect to hit those guys, those in Nathan Mesher. And it was just you know a couple feet wide left, like yeah. if that. It was it was very close to being a good field goal, and it was also very close to being a much easier field goal because. Laurier had a screen pass called back on. It was a good holding call in that it was holding. But again, I'm not sure if he hadn't hold him, if he hadn't held him, that that defensive player would have made the tackle on this receiver screen that, you know, again, like would have put Mesher sure. at a 20 yard field goal instead of a 43, something like that yard field goal. Yeah. Something about that. But- so, I mean, again, just one of those things. I mean, penalties were a big story in this game. I think it was it was combined to be like 350 yards of penalties, <laughs> right? Oh and and very gosh. costly, like you know, cost cost Mac a pick, cost um, cost Laurier, you know, much better field position for a touchdown, mm-hmm. like and 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 yeah, I mean, all of them are costly, right? Penalties are always costly, yeah. even if you don't know it at the time, even if it's not abundantly clear in the moment, they add up, they're costly. No, um, absolutely. And a huge win for Mac as they can now put their feet up and enjoy their bye week and see the rest of these teams duke it out as the OUA, at least the OUA middle class, which does make up the majority of teams. It just, as you as you alluded to earlier, plays this game of musical chairs. And Laurier now, I, I think I read that's their first back-to-back losses in, I think, three years. Um, and, of course, both in heartbreaking fashion will return home for their homecoming game where they welcome the Guelph Griffins, and that's – a massive game to say the least. We'll get into that more a little bit later. Um, but now moving on to our next game, York and Ottawa. So uh, was there a, a break in the zoo? Because there were a bunch of lions roaming around Ottawa on Saturday. Ew! <laughs> I mean, with that, I mean, I guess not to make light of that tornado, but obviously, oh, well, yeah. we just won't even go Unintended. There. But Unintended. But, um, but if it were intended, that would be funny, right? <laughs> so we had a final score in this one, Ottawa 42 York 16, you know, a score that we probably would have expected 
um, you know, in that ballpark. But a fairly competitive game through the first two quarters. Uh, York's uh, sticking in this one. Uh, you know, first and foremost, what was nice to see was that the Hunchaks were back out there. You know, Brett obviously, you know, took a, a, a licking of a lifetime in that Western game last week. Um, but he's ticking. He's he, kept on ticking. He, he, he is ticking. And, and you know, stat, you know stats-wise, it, it doesn't look great. He went 28 for 36. Well, I mean, 20 for 36, 304 in the air, one touchdown to four picks. And some of those picks, some of those picks are on him, definitely. There was one that kind of looked like a, a bad miscommunication by the receivers. Like, it looked like maybe they were trying to do some kind of uh, set a pick or some kind of rub concept. They kind of bumped into each other and then it fell uh, right into the hands of uh, of Cody uh, Baranek, who took it back for the touchdown, which was not their only pick six of the day. Um, stalwart cornerback for them, Jamie Harry, got a pick six of his own, which was also fairly gifted to him. And I'll definitely put a little bit more on Hunchak. Um, Everyone knows you got to feed Jamie Harry. You got to you got to make sure that he gets his <laughs> his stat sheet up because it's you know he's going to be one of the guys they're going to be talking about for the OUA's nominee for President's Trophy in a few short weeks. Yeah, you I think it should be Fraser Sopic because you know I'm a, I'm a homer and also he's incredible. But you can't go wrong with either of these. Picks. Jamie Harry would be another strong pick, definitely. Um, but you know a, a storyline with Otto that we've talked about all year is how strong that defensive back core is, and you know we mentioned uh, Baranek, mentioned Harry, but. You know, Luke Grease. Sorry, we mentioned Baranek. He's he's a defensive lineman. You mean uh, Cody Cranston? Oh, pardon me. Yes, Cranston. How can I forget? Um, we talk about Cran- we talk about Cranston's impact. We talk about Harry, but you know, a guy that we can't forget either um, is is Luke Grease, who really showed out in this one. Um, two picks of his own, really causing a bunch of trouble in there. And a sack, and, and a-, a tackle for a loss, and eight and a half total tackles. If you're playing OUA fantasy football, I truly hope that you took. <laughs> Auto use defense and specials yeah, for this Jesse. one. And if you're playing individual defensive players, Luke Grease killed it for you this yeah. week. <laughs> um, I so- don't think many of you are, though. <laughs> I am afraid. And also, you know, also you know, Luke French is a guy we talked about at the beginning of the year earlier on. French with two Fs. Mm. Uh, very fancy. Did not know that was a thing. And, yeah, I mean, as a, as a unit, they played well. And that's what they'll do to teams. They've done it every week pretty much. Not mm. every week, but they've – been a problem for opposing teams passing games definitely um so i mean this defense is definitely where this team's money is offensively good game for butner out there 13 or 25 238 in the air with two touchdowns um spreading the ball out uh had one big touchdown to dylan st pierre it was uh it, it was like a fake fake receiver screen Dylan was looking like he was going to be the lead blocker, but then just like went right past and it was kind of uh, those crafty yeah, GGs. They'll, they'll get you, you know? Um, and a, another guy, um, and then Ka- uh, Callum Beaver had a big, I think their opening touchdown just kind of over the top. Yeah. Uh, kind of caught the safety sleeping a little bit on the did help. He, did he justify his four, three speed his, his, <laughs> his supposed four, three speed? I mean, he looked pretty fast out there, yeah, but it, it's, a blur. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's easy to run past guys when they're, you know, standing still i think it was, it was it was a bad it was it was a play action play i think the safety bit but you know either way um and a guy who um you know we talked about a few times because he he missed one game earlier in the season but it's been running the ball really well for them uh dawson o'day 10 attempts 71 uh yards and, and one touchdown but he he runs it like he's an impressive runner like and i really he's think a very good running back he's yeah. a very good running back and i think back to that guelph game when i think of dawson's you know so far his, his best games because He's he's not the biggest guy, 
back there, or at least he doesn't seem like that large a guy, but he keeps his feet churning. He puts his head down. He takes contact and he runs hard inside, inside the box. So um, definitely a bit of a kind of like the GGs as a whole, a bit of a dark horse candidate amongst some of the, uh, you know, we can talk about the Jordan lions, the, uh, you know, Cedric Joseph, Nathan Carter, LaVondre Gordon, LaVondre Gordon, of course, there are um, a lot of good players in this league at running back. That is a, that is, there's a log jam at that position for sure. Definitely. And, 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 and that's even without O'Day's name in there, but he should definitely be in there because he's been doing some really good stuff for this ball club. Yeah. And a quiet day from Bryce Fierro, obviously there, this game, I mean, it started to get away from, from York, uh, it felt a little inevitable to me, unfortunately. Uh, and so you saw them working in Donald Shaw also. Sorry, when I say Donald, that's uh, another running back for the GGs. Yeah, He's, right. He had, you know, he had like, what, eight carries on the day, 57 yards. The exact same statistical average as Dawson O'Day. Looked good, too. Mm. And uh, and so Bryce Fiera didn't get many touches out of the backfield. Only one. And then a couple of receptions as a receiver. But, no, they did a very nice job of kind of spreading it around and uh, – just being, it just felt like an efficient offense. They had some big plays, but it felt mm-hmm. efficient. Yeah, and you know, coming off the bye week, it's nice to see a team that was obviously spending that time being able to refine a little bit and make sure they're you know tuning up for what's going to be a huge matchup next week. We have the fiftieth panda panda game, but you know, as to uh, to sort of piggyback off a point you made in the Laurier Mac game, another sloppy one in the penalties department. A combined, uh, let me do some quick math real here. 288 penalty yards given up by both sides here so um you know not to say we'd expect that more uh yeah we i'd probably expect some more penalties from york being a little bit of a uh lesser uh or weaker team so on that front definitely still a lot for ottawa to improve on to tighten up a little bit because that's how you're going to lose close ball games coming down the road yeah 170 yards is just not acceptable and that's you better be running in practice for that you can't do that (laughs) Um, except holding penalties when the game's out of reach. As an offensive lineman, I fully endorse holding the heck out of defensive linemen if you think you're going to get beat, if oh, the yeah. game is completely out of reach, because you don't want your quarterback taking any hits. I don't care. I'll take the holding. Yeah, definitely not. I'll um, do it. I did it. <laughs> oh, we all did. I lived by those rules. It's not a penalty if you don't get called. That's just, like, facts. That's true. Uh, and, and another guy we saw make a good comeback in this game for York, uh, Colton Hunchak, 11 catches, 126 yards. One touchdown. Another guy where you know, based on the team he's he's on, you might you might not put no him in the mix. No one's missing him. You know what I mean? Statistically, he's just too good, and, and yeah, and everyone knows he's a player. He was a player at East West. Everyone thinks he's great. So I mean, there that's that's an easy one. You can't miss him. That's true. I mean, I guess still it's just be like you know Turnowski and even the you know ensemble of receivers they have there. Um, obviously get a lot of we we talk about them a lot because of what Trey Ford's been doing. You know, KGJ, Bretton Hall, Laurier, the big names. And so statistically it is there, but it's it's good to just re- re- to, to reiterate sure. that this guy is having himself a good year and should. Yeah, bad the, teams have good players too. That is a thing that happens from time to time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I may have been wrong in a couple of my picks for the games this week, but this one was definitely, uh, you know, you, you, you didn't necessarily have to catch this one. Well, this was a layup on yeah. a kid-sized basketball net. Yeah, with uh, no one covering you. So yeah, and then moving forward, as we already mentioned, um, Ottawa gonna be taking on Carlton in the fiftieth Panda next week, which I am 
so excited for just the way these teams that game's always great it seems like it seems like traditionally i won't get too much into this because obviously we'll talk about it a little more um later on in the podcast but it seems like traditionally one team either ottawa or carlton is markedly better going into this game you know in years past and then carlton wins <laughs> <laughs> but it still turns out into and it's but it, carlton wins but it's still a great game but you know right now as we kind of have both these teams on paper they look fairly equal in t- i mean there's different strengths for both teams mm-hmm. um so whew, who knows what we're gonna get yeah i i agree this is gonna be a very exciting panda game and the playoff implications will be enormous but we will we will get to that yeah. know, later on and then uh york returning home to take on the waterloo lord uh that waterloo warriors um at alumni field the only uh non one o'clock game next week so should be able to catch that one and uh, hopefully see some some good. There should be some good passing in that one at the very least. What a, a lovely way to put it. Well, thank you. Um, and with that, let's move on. Our next game, uh, UFT Carlton. Carlton taking this one 38 to 26. And right off the bat, if, if you didn't catch this one and you went on to OUA to see uh, who played well and uh, who made noise at what positions, you might have seen a bit of a peculiar name at quarterback. For Carlton, uh, Aaron Aguian. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right because it's a name I haven't come across all year. It's a phantom name. It's a phantom name. I mean, I'm sure he's a real person, or maybe he's not. I don't know. My apologies. But it was their normal starter, Michael Arruda, um, at the helm in this one. And he put up a pretty nice day for himself. 22-37, uh, 349 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, this has been happening all year with this, this name mixed up on the OEO website. I I just sort of hadn't paid it any mind because I, I just knew my brain kind of yeah. auto-corrected. But uh, just to, to put that in perspective, there is no other quarterback at Carlton playing games right now. Okay, well just, then, just uh, it truly is a phantom uh, a phantom quarterback in this one. But once again, so final score, 38-26. And, and this, <clears throat> pardon me, this, this probably looks like the type of game when, when you see that score where, okay, Carlton was in control and U of T kind of puts up some garbage time points. But it, it was it was a tightly contested ball game. Yeah, I mean Carlton, Carlton was uh, was trailing until what like late third quarter. Yeah, something like that. And you know the story of this game, or one of the stories of this game, very much like the two games we've already talked about, was a lot of mental mistakes, um, particularly on, on on Carlton's side. A lot of penalties. I think they had maybe seven or eight penalties in the first half. A couple bad drops. Uh, Mitch Raper had a bad one. Um, uh, Manchalenko had a, um, a pretty bad drop as well. Uh, but, you know, not just to say that Carlton's offense couldn't quite get it in gear in the first half because, you know, one of the few silver linings that we have seen in this UFT team this year was that their defense in spurts has um, has been playing well. Well, I think their defense is okay. I mean, like, they've got a really good defense in mind as a head coach and you know you watch what they did against Mac last week okay Mac passed the ball effectively on them but they couldn't run the ball and mm-hmm. that was the hope is that they could shut down the run game they essentially did the same thing I don't know did you did you happen to notice like was it more 50 fronts more 40 fronts like were they just doing crazy stuff it's it, you know it, it seemed like they were doing mostly it, it seemed mostly like 40 fronts and stuff maybe a bit of the sort of uh some cowboy fronts in there a little bit with bringing linebackers down and yeah. just a, you'd see a lot of stunts. They got some good pressure on Aruda, you know, not necessarily stuff that translates to the stat sheets um, per se, but you know, w- watching this game, you, you definitely saw a lot of times he's getting onto the ground and a guy that we've talked about a few times who 
wasn't credited with a sack, but definitely hit Aruda maybe two, three times. Malcolm Campbell on the stat sheet, a, a very, you know, quiet game, but you know, you watch him out there. He's disruptive and they're using, they're using um, stunts. They're bringing in linebackers. They're really kind of taking advantage of, well, I shouldn't say taking advantage, but they're really using their scheme to get guys into open lanes to put pressure on the quarterback. So well, you know, no, absolutely. I mean, there are there are plays that are made by players just beating the person across yeah. from them in a sort of a technique and a physical battle, and then there are plays where the scheme gets you open. The scheme allows you to come free on a quarterback hit, and mm-hmm. I think I mean Toronto is. We said it before. We'll say it again. Extremely scheme diverse. So you have to prepare for a lot when you play them as an offensive lineman. You know they're going to do. 40 fronts, 50 fronts, three-man fronts. They're going to have cowboy Indian fronts. They're going to have stunts all over the place. They're mm-hmm. going to do stuff you just have not seen. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm you know I'm always impressed watching their defense in terms mm-hmm. of just the stuff they do. And and another similarity in this game to at least the Laurier game was early on um, a muff punt by uh, a receiver that we generally expect you know to be sure-handed. Um, of course, referring to KGJ back in the Laurier game, but in this one, Quinton Soares early on. UFT went goes to and out, punts it away, and then uh, Javen May for UFT ends up getting the ball loose, um, which you know sparked a UFT drive that they end up having. Uh, I think it was a nice 51-yard pitch and catch, Sakura to Corby, who was nice to see back in this game. Will Corby that is after leaving the MAC game after that big hit he took, which ended up leading to them opening the scoring uh, with a field goal, which probably. I mean, I'm just gonna go off the top of my head and say they're probably the first opening score that they've had in a game in a while where they've let out the gate but you know that that yeah. that, that not only did they score first but it persisted throughout the first half for them yeah uft is not known for uh hard stop hot ha excuse me hot <laughs> starts yeah or hot finishes or really much in between so mm-hmm. it's nice to see them having a little bit of i mean the hot start and uh you know even the solid like middle section of the game they were putting up points yeah um, but as well, you know, a bit of a bit of a messy, a bit of a messy game. Not only dropped balls uh, by the receivers for Carlton. At one point, um, it looked like um, there was a drop pick. Uh, Jonathan Edward looked like he had should have been one in his mitts, and then it just couldn't couldn't clinch on. So a, a rough start for Carlton. And uh, you know, one thing that was nice to see from UFT offensively was uh, you know Adam Williams at running back position. You know, only only 30 yards on the day, six attempts, but we really have not seen anything of resemblance of a run game for this team. So even just a couple runs that he was able to bust through the middle, it was nice. Like it was, it was just nice to see. I won't necessarily say it's a sign of anything to come. It was a nice little relief to see them actually at times and not many times, but have some decent runs in there. That's a bit of a participation trophy you just doled out. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> Will, Will Corby being back was the nice thing I saw. I mean, just I, I don't know if you mentioned it already, but just Will yeah. Corby is one of those players who, without him and Dio Daddy, this offense is not only lost, but it's it doesn't even know it's lost. It's yeah. just beyond saving. So with those two guys, they have a chance at least to have some offensive numbers. Sure. And uh, and he and he you know proved to be an effective player on the day. And and you mentioned Dio Daddy. You mentioned Corby and and Dio Daddy, of course. Uh, highlighted in this game with his 99-yard punt return touchdown, which um, really made the game interesting late late in the game. And uh, it was just a beautiful return in general. But what I found kind of funny was, you know, uh, we mentioned this last week in the MAC game, the MAC U of T game, when Corby was uh, ruled to have fumbled a ball that was uh, just definitely an incomplete pass. And, you know, the insult to injury was that he actually was injured on that play. And 
as we've both mentioned, he returned. But however, in this game, there was one part, one point, uh, I think it was either the second or maybe it was in the third quarter where Diodati went up for a ball that I think Kasser um, knocked out for Carlton. But it was almost the exact opposite. It was ruled incomplete, but my gut watching it and rewatching it was that that was a sheer fumble. So a bit of perhaps karma or a makeup made up call for U of T's uh, receivers in that one. But, um, you know, another guy that we've come to expect to have some decent production, if not necessarily uh, passing, which is obviously his main role, um, but running the ball, Clay Sakira, a lot quiet, a lot quieter in this one than we've seen in recent games where he's been able to, you know, make some big plays with his feet. And it almost seemed at times where the Ravens, you know, they were still missing Kenyon Yeka, which, which is big. And once again, it might not kill you in a game like this, but it's, it's definitely, you need him down there late in, in the, towards playoffs and late in the season when, you know, seeding is, is, is huge on the line. But it seemed like Carlton was just trying to make sure that he couldn't get outside. You know, you saw a couple of designed runs for him in this game, but predominantly when we see Sakara being the leading rusher for them and putting up, you know, sometimes close to 100 yards, it's because he's getting out of bad situations. A lot of times forced with guys getting through a fairly weak O-line, but he's making plays on his feet. Well, and it's not even that, right? Because, I mean, the plays that he makes on his feet are great in terms of supplementing their rushing totals. But also, it's the plays he makes on his feet to start the scramble drill that, yeah. that often produces their biggest chunk pass plays. That's true. So, yeah. without him breaking contain and getting out of the pocket, you're not only limiting their, their running game, you're limiting their passing game, too. Mm-hmm. And so, without Onyeka, you saw them supplement their pressure with linebackers a little bit. So, you have, you know, Josh... Um, Josh Walsh with two sacks on the day. You have another linebacker, uh, Trevor Hoyt, with two sacks on the day. So, or is he a DB? Uh, I, th- I think he's a half. Or Doesn't Sam matter. Whatever. He's in the box. So the the point is, yeah. is they kept their rush lanes. They kept him in the pocket, and that all sort of functioned to to slow down the passing game as well. Yeah, and, and you men- you mentioned Trevor Hoyt and whatever position he plays. Technically, had himself a day. Yeah. Uh, two sacks on just kind of a a, a half fire, which. You know, U of T's offense, they, it was, I think it was, if not in the same drive, in back-to-back drives in the third quarter where, you know, he timed it up nicely, but the, the O-line didn't even, like, sniff it out, and he was coming to secure his blind side, so got him dead to rights, but then also had himself a pick, forced fumble, and fumble recovery on the day, so, I mean, you know, we mentioned the day that Luke Grease had already, and the day that a guy like Mitch Garland had for Mac. A lot of big guys, a lot of big uh, players stepping up defensively th- uh, this week. That uh, you know, if you're playing that individual fantasy football, or, or <laughs> doing individual picks for defensively, you could put yourself together a nice roster with some of these go. guys. Um, yeah. Uh, so and you know, and we talked about that Carlton's running game wasn't quite there, and Nathan Carter, another guy that we talk about in the upper echelon of running backs in this league, but he he did bust himself off a nice. A uh, 60-yard uh, touchdown on a screen pass, which was, you know, pretty well. The Red Sea was parted for him. He had those big boys, um, Casey Baker. We saw in there for sure this time. Yeah, um, last time we, I, I <laughs> saw, I saw a phantom. I saw him on the participation sheet, and I just, for some reason, my brain just assumed, well, he must have been in because they were yeah. running the ball so effectively. <laughs> but he wasn't in there last week. He is this week. He is absolutely in there this week because if you if you only saw that one play, that 60-yard screen, you saw the big Mr. Baker just. I, like it, it kind of looked like a force push. Like he put his hands on this DB and he just fell down. He's so big. He is a large human being. It's enormous. It's amazing. 
Um, but you know, so didn't run the, they didn't have a, a fe- that effective day running the ball. But when we talk about the best, not necessarily individual receivers, but receiving groups, this Carlton uh, receiving core has got to be up in the mix for that. They definitely are. I mean, they're they almost are. You're almost going to forget about them in a similar way that you'd forget about some of the guys on Western because they're just they they might have a clear number one, but they have so many other good guys two, three, four, five that you just you'll you'll never be able to get them enough catches to fill out their stat sheet to be in consideration for All Star awards. But I agree. I think they might be. If it's not Western, it's them who are the deepest at receiver. Then, you know, you have Laurier with, you know, two outstanding guys and Waterloo with two outstanding guys. Mm. But I agree, this is a really good receiving group. And, you know, they're obviously trying to work uh, Nathan Carter into that mix as well, getting him some receptions out of the backfield. Um, the one thing I'm concerned about with Carter is that we saw now for at least the second game in a row, time where he had to come out due to maybe it was just cramping. But whatever it was, we've now seen a couple games where he's had to step out uh, for one reason or another, um, and he's an important player for them. He's a very important player for them. Yeah, they they lose a lot if he's not in there. Jill and Jana, Matthew Pickens, like these are guys who they're not at his level. So yeah. I mean, you just hope it's nothing, and uh, and they they absolutely can't afford to not have him come playoff time. Definitely. Um, so you know a, a a a nice effort by UFT sticking in this one a home game for them always good to give your fans something nice to cheer about but uh you know ultimately it bared out like most people would have thought it would have in this one um you know one thing of note towards the, the uh, end of the game and who knows this may have played a difference but uh Clay Secure took a pretty big hit and he was slow to get up and didn't see him anymore in the game Connor Ennis came in at quarterback and it was still a tight game so Hopefully uh, nothing too, too serious, but, you know, definitely enough to, you know, sometimes you see in a one-sided game, your quarterback takes a lick and it's like, well, take him out. No point risking it. They were still definitely in this game. So, you know, uh, no, I don't have any word on what his status is, but just kind of piecing a few of those, um, a, a few of those things together. Hopefully it's nothing too, too serious, but I think he definitely was injured towards the end. Yeah. Hopefully he gets well soon. Yeah. So then moving on to next week, as we've already mentioned uh carlton is going to be gearing up for the 50th anniversary of the panda game and toronto will be traveling to windsor to take on the lancers where we'll finally see one of these two teams uh get a dub or who knows maybe just it'll defy all logic and you know you you, you'd think that finally one of these teams is gonna get a win but maybe murphy's law will just come into effect and we'll get a tie oh my god i hope not (laughs) Uh, well, let's let's hope we get a win one way or the other from either of those teams. But uh, we'll put a ball on that one and move on. Western and Waterloo, a game that <clears throat> more so than Guelph losing, disappointed me the most this week. Yeah, it disappointed me too, but not as a Western fan, just as an OUA fan in general <laughs> because of how lopsided it was. If you as a Western fan were disappointed by this, I should come over there and slap you right now. Yeah, no, no the, the boys just didn't bring it today. <laughs> they, they left a lot of points on the board. No, it was this was bad. This sucked. It sucked to watch. I was sad for Waterloo. Yeah. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it, it, it doesn't mean anything, right? A loss is a loss, whether it's a one-point loss or... 60-point loss. A 60-point loss. Yeah. F- I mean, Final score, if you didn't catch it, was Western 67, Waterloo 7. Yeah. It's a loss. Uh, hopefully they can bounce back. I'm sure they can. I, I mean, I hopefully they can become the team that I sort of thought they were after they beat Laurier, mm-hmm. which was 
you know, maybe the second best team in the conference. Like them and Laurier was a very close game, so I wasn't willing to say one was clearly better than the other. Mm-hmm. Laurier now having lost to McMaster, maybe I'm downgrading them. I don't know how I feel about Waterloo right now. I still think they're a good team. I still think they're a playoff team. We'll see how everything shakes out. With uh, the benefit of hindsight after this game and as well what we saw with the Laurier-Mac game, would you say that that Battle of Waterloo game was more a statement of um, like of, of sort of Laurier or Waterloo in terms of like what was it? Because like, I think we really thought that that was Waterloo really stepping up and, and kind of taking the helm of we are here, we are a team to be reckoned with in the top echelon. Or what did, did it reveal some things about Laurier that kind of we saw maybe again this week versus Mac? I'm not 100% sure I'm willing to say that about Laurier just yet with sure. what I saw against Mac because they were missing a couple of very key defensive linemen. It's a game that could have gone either way. I didn't mention it during our breakdown of their game, but Caracello had to come in for a few snaps in relief of Tristan Arndt, and he threw a costly interception in that sort of short stay in the game, almost two. And I'm not 100% sure if I have a clear beat on Laurier. They, they obviously started the season off pretty hot, mm-hmm. and they've lost some of that momentum. So they have to recapture that. But it certainly is a statement of where Laurier is right now. Yeah, Waterloo, I mean... It's a statement of parody when you have a game go as deep as that game did between Waterloo and Laurier. And, you know, there's there's takeaways on both sides. But in terms of where Waterloo is right now after this game, it's a bit of a reset. They have to build up momentum because they were building momentum, rolling the ball up the hill, mm-hmm. and Western just knocked it back down for them. So they have, they have a way to go. I think they'll get there. Just it's This was a disappointing game to watch. You know, one, one of the interesting things, like looking back on this game, was that I don't. I didn't think that Waterloo was going to take this one. I, I was hoping that that it was going to be closer. And when I say closer, maybe like a twenty to thirty point loss. But because we've seen how potent Waterloo's offense can be, and you know, on the flip side, we have seen that against high powered or not even high powered offenses, but they, they can give up points. A la Sam Girard, Week One. But I, I digress. We knew Western was going to score on them. Western's defense, though, they are for real. Yeah, they're really good. And they've shown it now the last two weeks or the two weeks preceding this with what they did to McMaster and what they did to York. This is obviously a much more difficult offensive t- or test for the defense. It's a much more difficult offense to be tested by. So the fact that they did this to Waterloo really does cement them as the best defense in the conference. Personnel-wise, they're, they're just so nasty. Like you could give half the players on this defense all-star nods, and, and frankly, they just might get those. I mean <laughs> – Fraser Sopic was everywhere, and he's fast enough and instinctive enough to be able to run down Trey Ford. Michael Moore, who I, I commented last game, and you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he had already been comfortable in the defense, but he looked more comfortable to me. Sure. He had a pick today on Trey Ford. Nice play on the ball. So, I mean, I, I guess I look at this Western defense, and I think if you can do this to Waterloo, you can do this to almost anyone. I mean yeah. – I don't want to look ahead too much, but it, it almost does look like this this year. Western is just – they're on a different level. Mm. I mean, I, I think I'll, I'll – despite some of the questions we've seen about Laurier in these last two weeks, I will only truly – well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't put it that drastically, but I, I'm still holding hope that that, that that final game of the season, Laurier and Western, can at least reveal some hint of – a possible ups, like just to show something. Like, where can you beat this team? What do you need to do? And you know, to put you on the spot, 
perhaps like, like what would you envision aside from injury or something catastrophic uh, a meteorite landing on the city of london ontario happening to slow down this big purple juggernaut nothing comes to mind yeah nothing comes to mind i mean like i I, I hate looking ahead, but I just I don't see how you can stop this team. I mean, again, injuries. Injuries at very key positions. There are some positions where Western is extremely deep. There are some where they're not. Mm. So an injury to a great player, depending on the position, might be extremely costly or they might be able to just next man in. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, I hate, I hate talking about the potential of injuries. That's the only thing. Yeah. That's it. So they stay healthy. They're, they're thanks it. western for ruining our podcast <laughs> yeah western honestly it's like it's golden state right now it's yeah. bad it's yeah. bad oh man and you know, they, they went five for five on their first five drives as an offense i think it was one field goal and then four touchdowns in a row like yeah like when your average when your average gain per offensive play is 9.3 yards they put up 31 points in the first quarter <laughs> Yeah, and like it was, it was brutal because it was everything, right? Like, Western special teams was dominant. Like they had several returns. And Mikey Sananas took a, I want to say it was like a seventy-yard return on the opening play. He got brought down at the end, so he didn't get a touchdown. But maybe it was sixty. I forget what it was. Uh, but it was, it was very long, and it was just like, okay, first kickoff of the game, that set the tone, yeah. and there's really not much that that Laurier, sorry, Laurier. Why do I keep doing this with Laurie and Waterloo? There's not much that Waterloo could do sense. I mean, Tyler Trunowski had a nice day. Yeah. But he was basically all of their all of their passing uh, yardage went to him in the receiving game. So if he's your only guy who's going to do anything, that's a problem. It kind of looks like they had a decent game running, and they and they sort of did. I mean, I thought Dion played pretty well, and, you know, Trey Ford had that Trey Ford magic. But yeah. he was better yeah. contained than usual, and – uh it's a game of inches, right? Like if you if you can contain Trey to some degree, mm-hmm. then their offense kind of it doesn't grind to a halt. But it's him getting open. It's him. It's him running out of the pocket and getting those extra yards that extends drives in a way that nobody else can. Mm. And no we, other team does. So and we, you know, we we toyed with ideas of like last week we were toying with ideas of like ways that they can incorporate his speed in like rollout games and, and designed runs and that too. So obviously his, his, you know, his ability to run is, is massive for them. Um, and it should also be stated, like if, if, if you, if you didn't catch this one or if you haven't checked out the box score, this was in Waterloo too. Uh, and home field advantage with the exception of obviously, you know, the long trips isn't the biggest um, factor no. in OEA football, but it's still worth noting that, you know, a 60-point beatdown is one thing, but then doing that on the road against a team that I think a lot of people were thinking or at the very least hoping was a possible contender, man. Yeah. No, Western is the only contender right now. Everyone else is just uh, battling for scraps, and uh, I hope they make me eat those words and make it interesting. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I hope Western wins, but no. <laughs> but, I, you know, I hope, I, hope the, I hope the conference gets a little more interesting in terms of Having a challenger. It's very interesting in the middle. Very interesting in the middle. Mm. There's a strong middle class. It's like a democracy. Like a functional democracy. A very strong <laughs> middle class. But but at the top, you have Western just uh, just killing it. So Okay, quick question off the dome. Western Mustangs versus the rest of the OUA. You mean? If, like, like an if, all-star team of OUA. 
Oh, uh, well, you got to take the field, right? Like, you just think think about the team you'd be able to put together with the rest of the OUA. Your receivers would be Curly Giddens, Tyler Ternowski, and, you know, Phil Aloki. Yeah. And, I mean, that's ridiculous. The offensive line would be Guelph's offensive line, plus, you know, maybe like Casey Baker and Nolan McGreer True. and – Oh, Jesse man. Gibbon, and that, that, would, that would just be too ridiculous a team. I'm just salivating at the idea of, like, seeing all those guys on one team right now, though. Oh, man. Honestly, though, I think so. I think the rest of the OUA would win if you played that game. <laughs> but I don't necessarily think it would be a blowout. <laughs> like, I think, I, I, think it would be, I think it would be a good game. Yeah. No, oh, man. Well, that, and that's disgusting. That doesn't bode well for anybody other than – But then their DBs. You'd have all those Ottawa DBs. Mm. Oh, that'd be so nasty. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, Presumably, you know, yeah, some some a defensive lineman or two from Guelph. Yeah, no, that that doesn't work. But all the same, yeah, Western Western is you know a, a veritable all star team at this point. So you know, one thing though that they did kind of bother me, and I'm sure it bothers Western coaches even more, is they didn't really run the ball all that effectively. I mean, if you look at the stat sheet, you see Cedric Joseph, who you know got the majority of the early carries, mm-hmm. was. You know, 10 for 47 yards, and a, he had a touchdown, a goal line touchdown. Merchant had some running yards, but that, that scrambles, right? Like, they're not designing quarterback runs after they see them up by a bajillion yards sure. or RPO stuff. Alex Taylor had a few, but, you know, couldn't really get super – he couldn't get himself into space, really. Like, the, the defense did a very nice job. And this, this Waterloo defense, like, the strength of their defense is their linebackers. They have four – very solid linebackers. Curtis Gray is the Sam guy. Led them in tackles last year. He makes plays all over the place. Michael Reed. I think Michael Reed might be the most underrated linebacker in the conference in that he gets very little love, very little fanfare. But he makes plays everywhere. He's very instinctive. Puts his face in the hole. Like He's, he's, he's doing stuff that, you know, you see Jack Caster doing it. And, and Jack's getting more tackles. But they look like similar linebackers to me in terms mm. of their, their ability to stuff the run game. And then you have the brothers Hinsberger, who, you know, are both playing well too. So they do a nice job defensively getting their linebackers open and, and creating confusion. Daryl Adams does with his his three four scheme. And so they did a good job stuffing the run. Obviously, Western had their way with them passing. You know, you have a three hundred and forty eight yard day with six passing touchdowns from Chris Merchant. He had more passing touchdowns than he did incompletions. Oh boy! So he was twenty of twenty four. So that's oh gosh, that's um that's unfortunate. And <laughs> and funnily enough, you know, the six passing touchdowns went you know to two receivers, both having three each. So Cole Majoros and Brett Ellerman eight. And uh, I mean, no, I mean everyone had nice days, but it's just funny how that shakes out. Western just did Western things. One thing that, that upsets me, I'm looking at the stat sheet, and, and I was at this game, but I was, once I sort of saw the direction it was going, I spent most of my time in the beer tent. <laughs> so something I missed on film was, it's telling me here Mark Leggio missed a field goal. Oh! I hope that's okay. not true. I, th- I mean, I guess it has to be, right? Because it's here. Interesting. It's on the stat sheet, and that's always right. It never lies. That's like a, that, what was that streak at then? It was very long. I was gonna make a comment that we should oh get him my. a cake when he gets to fifty-five. Hey, oh, but then it would have oh, like man. it would have just been me eating the cake here because <laughs> not, not air mailing him a cake like it just <laughs> you know. So I wanted a cake, but we could, we could uh, you know live stream it for him. Yeah. But, oh, that's that's a little unfortunate. 
watching me eat food. That's fun. <laughs> um, well, then my, my question is, is that with still half their season to go, you know, we saw last year, obviously, Western being able to improve to the point where come playoffs, no one could stand a chance. They already seem to be at that form now, and they haven't played all possible contenders, but they've definitely shown that they are, without a doubt, the team to beat in this in this league, or at least in this conference. So from someone who's been in that locker room, having hit this stride at this point with so much left in the regular season, what's the, like, where do they go? Are, like, will they get better, or is it just about being able to make sure that they're at this form come playoffs well that's that's an interesting challenge and you know i've been in a western locker room but i haven't been in this locker room right so that the i've been in a western locker room where we were dominant in the regular season but then you know there's you know and a bit of like an emotional i don't know if it's a letdown or just there's something about the playoffs just people bring it and and i don't know like we just we didn't always play our best in the playoffs Mm. when i was there obviously that showed up this is a team that that did have that incredible playoff run, and now they're playing their best football to date. I think they have the leadership. I think both in terms of coaching, which they've always had, but they have, you know, even even more good coaches now. And they have the leadership in terms of the veterans, the guys like Fraser Sobic, the guys like Jimmy Hawley, um, the guys like Bleska Kimbamba, who who were there on the championship run and and lots of other guys were too, but just guys who have seen what it looks like to lose a bit of that, that, that fire, that emotional Mm. edge and, and, and have it sort of wane on them. And I think they know what they have to do is just keep getting better. Yeah. On the offensive side of the ball, guys like Chris Merchant, guys like Alex Taylor, they've seen the heartbreaking losses. I think they know just how to keep everyone's head right, how to keep the motivation up, how to keep every practice at a sort of a, a good tempo, a good pace, a good um, good effective use of time. So I think I think this is a team that will continue to, if not get better, they won't sort of slow down. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I don't know, I don't know how to put it. Like they might plateau, but they have they, the veterans to be able to instill in, in the guys who maybe haven't been there before sure. that like that you can't quit. It doesn't matter how good you think we are, like we are we're, we don't stop till we have that Vanier Cup in our grasp again. Yeah, it's a very veteran team, so yeah. I think I think they do have the ability to, uh, if not if not keep getting better at this clip to yeah. keep to keep an advantage on the rest of the OUA. Mm-hmm. So, and I think they will keep getting better, to be honest, because because they have. Well, I'm I'm excited. You know, as, as much as I don't want to see that happen, I am thoroughly intrigued by that possibility because. I just can't fathom how this team gets better. So just for the pure sake of being able to see it happen, I'm in. But once again, as we mentioned, it kind of looks like a bit of a, well, maybe not a bit, a large gap between them and number two in this league. Um, No kidding. No kidding. Uh, And they'll travel to uh, Kingston to take on Queens next week. Um, Where, you know, I'm probably seeing similar results. Uh, and Waterloo looking to bounce back as they uh, will head on the road to take on York here in the six. Um, and with that, let's move on to our final game. So our last game of the week was the Queens-Guelph game in Guelph for their homecoming. Queens taking this one narrowly by a score 33-32. Um, and 
perhaps this game, more than any other we saw this week, had the biggest implications in terms of playoff seeding. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but a massive win for Queens and a devastating loss for Guelph for multiple reasons. Uh, Nate Hobbs finished up on the game 22 for 31, 306 yards, passing one touchdown, uh, one touchdown running as he's now, uh, I saw this uh, checking out on Queen's website, he's now had one rushing touchdown in each of their games so far this season. You know, pretty much all of them are just those plunge over the tops or maybe finding a B or C gap to score when they get down to the goal line. But, you know, a good game for Hobbs. But we saw definitely a more of a breakout game from Theo Landers today going 26 for 35, 318 yards, three TDs, uh, one pick, and he also had one touchdown running the ball as well. Actually, both these quarterbacks were the leading rushers for each of their ball clubs. Um, and for Theo, I think what made him made him better this game and also caused a few of his mistakes was it, it looked like he was playing with a bit more aggression in this one. Um, I think it cost him at times when he ended up fumbling on their first or second drive where after gaining eight or nine yards, went into contact fairly upright as opposed to, to uh, sliding, and then the ball came out as a result of that. Um, and then another play in the second half where he, he threw a pick on a corner route and just tried to fit a ball into a, into a window with real tight coverage. Um, and I, I guess also when you're down, I guess this is the story of, of this game too, was uh, a narrow uh, – Guelph narrowly pulling off almost pulling off a massive comeback is he was kind of forced to throw it and he couldn't just dink and dunk over the middle. He had to stretch the ball down the field. And, you know, for the first time this season, we actually have seen that he was able to get consistent big chunk plays, some of his receivers. And that was good to see. I mean, when you have, when you're, when you're trailing 33 to seven, yeah. Late in the third quarter, that's not good. No, <laughs> not good at all. And so, the fact that he put up that that day is is kind of interesting, right? Because I mean, if he could, if he could have had that same day spaced out a little more evenly, maybe in the first half and sure. the third quarter, even then you would have had a very competitive game. I mean, and in fact, you did at the end. But like, you you shouldn't be able to put up a stat line with uh, 318 yards passing, 85 yards rushing, four total touchdowns, only one interception, and still lose, right? Like, yeah. so that's. That's a little concerning. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a, one of those stat lines that surprises you that, he, you know, when you see that kind of stat line from your quarterback that he wasn't on the winning team. But you definitely got to give a lot of credit to Queens coming out in this game because, like I said, this was Guelph's homecoming. And, you know, I was there for the game, and it was a standard Guelph homecoming. You know, five, 6,000 people filled, you know, the hill across the stand across the field from the stands filled with uh, students and, and alumni. And a really just a, a, a great environment and a beautiful day uh, to boot. But Queens came out aggressively offensively, faced with a third and, I don't know, third and three on their first drive. They ended up going for a fake punt to Tristan Kucher, um, who broke a 21-yard run off of it. Uh, ended up setting up the opening touchdown for a Puskis. And then on their second drive, I think they also converted another third down. Um, and, you know, Hobbs, Hobbs had a good game. He was... He, we we saw a bit of a slow start for this team offensively, um, at least faced with teams in their relative skill range. Um, but you know, if he, it seems like this offense has settled in, and he was hooking up with Osikusi and Kucher, um, as well as Del Brocco, who got his sixth touchdown of the season, which now settles him in uh, second behind Ternowski. 
so it's it's a it's an offense that you know on paper we definitely have seen some of these weapons and we're starting to see it uh, come to fruition a little bit. But another week where they couldn't really run the ball at all, and that was yeah. sort of to be expected. This Guelph offense or defensive front rather is pretty strong, but you know I don't see how Queens can really be considered a threat if they can't run the ball. Yeah, that's that's true, and, and you know. It's gonna it's gonna start getting colder really quick, and you know obviously the passing game is massive here in Canadian football, but you're gonna want to be able to run the ball well, especially come playoff time. But it wasn't really as though Guelph ran the ball effectively outside of Theo, and that's obvious. You know, if you're running RPOs or you're running plays where a quarterback is reading a defensive end, so the read for a quarterback is if he crashes, the quarterback pulls and keeps it, and if that's the read that the Queens was giving to Theo. You can't fault him for taking them and, and and having a very efficient rushing day, mm-hmm. seven attempts, eighty-five yards. But if your if your main running back can't run the ball, that is a problem. And one of the problems there is that I don't know if Guelph truly has a main running back at this point. We saw Jamal Hooker contribute very little uh, last week, uh, I, I, and then we he wasn't in the he didn't participate in this game. I haven't heard of an injury of sorts, but that would be where my mind probably goes to first. Yeah, um, it, was, it was Kwame Osi, Juwan Jeffrey, and, and J.P. Simankinda who were getting the the carries, yeah. right? And, and none of them really had a day that, you know, I don't, I don't remember seeing any play from any of them that sort of told me that one of them necessarily deserved to have the ball in his absence. But yeah. I, I just thought it was... It's unfortunate if Guelph can't pound the rock on people. Spe- you know, and, and again, again, when you're down, when you're down points, it's not sure. something you are going to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not as important as having your go-to guy at running back is, is definitely not as important as the quarterback position, which, you know, we talked about with, with Mac being able to finally land with, um, with Duick and, and the importance of that going forward. So it's not to say that it's the same situation at running back, but that confidence instilled in a guy being able to say that, I know that I'm going to go out. I don't have to be looking over my shoulder you know, metaphorically speaking, at possibly getting pulled. I mean, maybe they, maybe all these backs do know that, like, they're going to get equal touches, in which case that's fine as well. But I, I do believe in having some form of uh, hierarchy amongst amongst those backs just so guys can understand. You know what to expect going into a game, I think, is huge. Um, but as you said, obviously, that wasn't what they needed in this game. They needed to make big chunk plays to be able to, you know, attempt and almost pull off this great comeback and, and they did and they did and one guy that was crucial for that is a guy that you know missed the first two games came back against ottawa had those big catches and then we didn't see him last week key and schaefer baker um back in this game um he had himself he had himself a, a, a nice little game had a touchdown um 130 yards and he had one big reception where i think it was off a of play action and you know Theo threw it up for him. It looked like a fly, and it was it was underthrown. But there was this moment where you could see the ball was in the air, and and he, him and the def- Kean and his defender were both right there. But he's the type of talent, though, where you know I, I've grown to when I see that situation arising. The fact that he went up and it wasn't like a it wasn't like a true mossing or anything like that. It wasn't the prettiest high pointing of a ball, but it he, when he came down with it, it wasn't a surprise. Had he not come down with it, that would have been like, oh, wow, he didn't make that play. He's better than 50-50 on 50-50 balls, right? That's <laughs> yeah, the thing. Exactly. Um, so definitely a, a, a very a very strong day for him. Zeph Frazier also had a big uh, day for himself, 96 yards and a touchdown, uh, along a 45, uh, of just a really nice place ball on, on a some type of fly route that he beat his defender on down the sideline. Um, Cade Bellick also re- uh, having a nice day for himself with seven 
seven receptions uh, and a touchdown. And he had one, one or one or two really nice catches in traffic where on one in particular, you could see he bobbled it. And then kind of like the Wes Welker Super Bowl catch right before he hit the ground was able to reel it in. So, I mean, these guys stepped up when they needed to. Um, and while they didn't pull off the win, hopefully for their sakes, it's indicative of now, you know, building that confidence is obviously huge for them moving forward. Yeah, I mean they and they have to basically win out because they've lost so many tiebreakers at this point, right? They have yeah, they've lost tiebreakers to Ottawa, to Mac, to now Queens. So I don't know what it takes for Guelph to make the playoffs at this point, but hopefully they can build off this game offensively in terms of what they were able to do in the passing game because that's what's been missing all year. I I think I said it earlier in the year this team will go as far as Theo Landers will take them. Sure, and yeah. at least it, he's showing now that he can take them somewhere in the passing game. What was interesting that I saw them do a little bit more in the second half was it looked like they brought in a little bit more of their their jumbo sets where they bring in an extra O-lineman at tight end using Lucas Brandon at the fullback. And my initial reaction seeing that was, what's what's the deal here? You're down big. This isn't the time to try and establish the run. But it actually seemed like that opened up opportunities on the outside because it brought so many Queens defenders in the box that you were able to have these one-on-one matchups, be able to get Keen in space, Zeph Frazier, Cade Bellick, and it really came through. So that it'll be interesting to see, especially if they're able to run the ball effectively like we assume they should be. And we've seen them be able to run the ball effectively, especially with that offensive line. Um, if they can play off of that, where they can maybe isolate some of their receivers and be able to make some plays out there, also with the threat of a strong run game. Obviously, in a game like this, you don't worry if you're Queens about them running the ball on you necessarily when you get in those situations. But it was just something I thought was interesting because, you know, I, I was kind of pulling whatever hair I have left in my head out when I started to see them come out with these these jumbo formations. I was just like, this doesn't seem like the time or place well for this type of this type of move. But well, it's sort of the counterintuitive thing where if you have a great run game. Spread everyone else out. Have just your offensive linemen beat up on just their defensive linemen and one sort of linebacker. Exactly. And if you have a great passing game, or if you have a couple of really good receivers, which Guelph does, yeah, bring everyone into the box. Make them play very vanilla coverages on you. So mm-hmm. it's kind of funny how it works. You know, sometimes when you want to pass the ball, bring everyone else in. Well, it's kind of what we see with Laurier a little bit, where they'll do that double tight stuff and exactly, yeah, put KGG on an island, put whomever else you want out there. Like you're gonna put him single coverage, go ahead. And if you want to try and double him while we have all this beef in the box, we're gonna run it on you. So you know what? It's 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 a uh, it's it, yeah, it's counterintuitive, but there is a lot of uh, sense to be made in all that. Um. But, you know, fast forward towards the end of this game and, and Guelph's pulling off this miraculous comeback. And, it you know, it reminded me of shades of 2012 when, uh, you know, in a playoff game against Queens, I forget, I forget what the deficit was. It was something like a 27-point comeback in the last 10 minutes of the game. And I can only imagine Sheehan's just reliving all those moments. But it was unfortunately the comeback was just cut short as, you know, a, a, a field goal that, you know, he should have had. Uh, I think it was about a 35-yarder for Gabe Ferraro. Bit of a high snap, but, you know, he pushed it left, and, you know, that that was it for them. And Another know. another game where a last-minute field goal attempt, yeah. you know, loses – wins or loses you the game for, you know, obviously the other one I'm referencing is the Laurier-McMaster game. Exactly. Um, tough. I mean, you know, you're going you're gonna to lose games – because of a missed kick, and, and it, it's tough, but that's the way it goes. And second game this week that was decided on a missed kick 
but also the second game for Guelph that came down to a, a missed kick. And, you know, the, the game I'm referring back to is week one versus Mac, and it was a much longer attempt at a kick for Ferraro in that one, and it was going into the wind. And, you know, it's one of those plays I think we talked about where it's the right call if it works, it's the wrong call if it doesn't. Either way, it was a difficult task for him in that one. And, yes, there was a bit of a high snap on this, but they're really – I, I, I love you, Gabe, but, you know, this, this one's on him, eh? That, that one's on Gabe. Um, so it hurts. And, and as we mentioned, this this loss and to this opponent in particular is going to be really, really crucial down the line for Guelph. This 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 might have this might have decided for them. And, uh, you know, we'll get into a little bit more of those uh, head to heads and some of those implications. But, um, you know, it's. We'll try to yeah. we'll try to sort out this tangled mess that is yeah. the tiebreaker situation between all these teams at <laughs> three and two or two and two or some combination of, of of two wins and three losses or something like that. So we'll we'll get that figured out for you and try to give you the the sort of the executive summary of what it all means. Yeah, but either way, you know, once again, hats off to Queens coming into a tough environment on their homecoming and actually second week in a row. I didn't realize this. Uh, last week when they lost the double overtime game to Carlton, that was Carlton's homecoming. I guess they get the unofficial extra homecoming of um, the Panda game, uh, almost a shared homecoming, if you will. But so you know they dropped that one, but kind of kind of the reversal of a game in in Carlton where they had to come back in the second half to be able to force overtime and unfortunately lose it. Where in this one they came out strong and almost blew it, but held on to win it. Um, and you know we kind of mentioned how home field advantage isn't the biggest deal in 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 this league but it is something so big ups to queens for being able to go into a hostile environment and and get a huge win and uh you know they will be taking on an even harder task at home next week when uh those purple ponies come to visit so uh good luck hope you enjoyed that one because uh sorry i'm not betting on you on this one queens and uh, as we mentioned earlier Guelph heading to Laurier for what is undoubtedly, I mean, I guess next to the Panda game, the biggest game of the week and serious, serious playoff implications on the line for that one. So uh, we'll, we'll get into all that in our next segment, but that, that wraps up our week five review in the OUA. Moving forward to week six, got a whole slate of games on our hands, starting off Toronto versus Windsor out in Windsor. Really, the story here is which team's going to pick up their first W. Yeah, I think I think Windsor gets it. Uh, the home field advantage plus. I mean, assuming they have uh, their their quarterback Gerard, Gerard back, back. Yeah. Do we know anything about that? Not that I've heard yet. No. no. I mean, I, you know what? Either way, I think I think Windsor is just um, they're more potent offensively yeah. right now. It could go either way. Not gonna make a really super strong prediction on this, but I would say you know Windsor gets the win by uh, by you know seven points. Sure, sounds good to me. Cool. <laughs> Moving on to the next one, we got Guelph visiting Laurier. Laurier's homecoming. Uh, like we said, aside from the Panda, this is probably the biggest game of this week. Um, I agree. I think this this game might eliminate one of these teams, and that's crazy to yeah. say with Laurier. Well, yeah, because I mean Laurier has been they've been so good until the last couple weeks. But I mean, I don't. I mean, this game might not eliminate Laurier, but it will eliminate Guelph. Well, these are two teams that we definitely that we at the beginning of the year were saying were locks for playoffs and you know it's i think that I, I don't see a situation at this point in the season there may be one there's still a lot of things to work out 
but I don't see a situation at this point where both these teams make the playoffs. And you, you're right. It pro and it, it is probably leaning more so towards Guelph uh, not making the playoffs. I'm liking Laurie in this, even when you just forget about the rosters and who's on it and just kind of look in a sports fanatic, sports fan way of looking at the game. Laurie's coming off two tight losses, one extremely heartbreaking against Waterloo two weeks ago, home for their homecoming. Yeah, Guelph has the emotional loss um, against Queens this past week. But, you know, if we're going to play this kind of who has the emotional edge, so to speak, I'm going to give that to Laurier on top of the fact that on paper they're still a very deadly team as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Guelph is fighting for their lives here because, yeah. again, like if they lose this game, it's... they'll be 2-4 and four, and they'll have lost to Queens, Mac, and Ottawa. So you look at, like, how do you make the playoffs if you've lost the tiebreaker to Queens, Mac, Ottawa, and Laurier? I don't yeah. think there is an answer that is a yes. Like, I, I don't see how you could possibly game that out to have them in. So. Yeah. And in terms of tiebreakers, Laurie, as of right now, holds the tiebreaker over Ottawa and over Queens, which Ottawa might be safe from their grasp, depending on how the season plays out. But Queens is still in reach for them to be able to maybe give them the boot if Laurie ends up making it into the top six. Um, but once again, there's still so many things in play that it's hard to really predict right now. Um, moving on to our next game, which is the Panda, the 50th anniversary game, which of course, uh, unless you don't know anything about OUA football, means that it is Ottawa, it is Carlton teeing off, um, and it's going to be wild. Yeah, it's wild every single year. I don't know. I don't think you can call this game. This is too close to call. It's sort no. of a pick 'em. I mean, Ottawa matches up really well. Ottawa, the strength of their team is their defensive backs. The strength of Carlton's team, their the receivers. receivers. Oh man. So I, I think this is going to be a very entertaining game. I would probably lean towards Carlton right now, and also just they've always had more success in this game. True. Yeah, I mean, I'm willing to I'm willing to take Ottawa in this one. Not that like our our picks necessarily matter, of course, but you know, Onyeka's status for Carlton is still obviously up in the air. We don't have an update on him yet, and that can play a huge factor in this one. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm all on board this this GG secondary and yeah, the whole defense really right. If you can't true, yeah. if you can't run the ball effectively on U of T, you're probably not going to be able to run it all that effectively on on Ottawa's front. It's a front that's been getting better every week. We've yeah. noticed that it's uh. A very talented unit defensively all over the field, not just at their defensive backcourt. So I absolutely am on board with uh, with this being a tight game and then it being a lot of fun to watch. No, it's, it's, it's going to be amazing. Um, our next game, Western visiting Queens. Boring. Yeah. Uh, Nate Hobbs, can you continue your streak of rushing touchdowns in a game? Yeah, maybe that would be something interesting to watch. But other than that, Queens always does bring it against Western. Like, if there's one game a year that you know Queens won't have any problem getting emotionally up for, yeah, it's probably this game. But that being said, this it's, is as truly as a, a David or Goliath matchup as there is, right? There's, there's some gaps that those emotional, you know, factors that play in that play a, a large part in sports. But there's some gaps that are just insurmountable. Yeah, so. and uh, and this this looks like one of them. So. Yeah. Uh, and then we, we finish off with Waterloo visiting York. Um, yeah. So, so Queens, I mean, assuming that they're 3-3 three and three after, sorry, the Western oh, game. Oh, yeah, go sorry. Back, really, Part, to move oh, back yes. really quickly. Sorry, I, I should have been quicker with this. They will have the tiebreaker over Guelph, too. So, they'll be 3-3. Three and three, And if they get one more win, if Guelph takes this loss, yeah, Guelph is out. So, yeah. um, Queens, uh, Queens is, you know, in a... In a Pretty spot with the tiebreaker tie over Guelph. The only know, thing, having that, but yeah. they also they've lost to Laurier and Carlton. So the only thing sweeter for Queens than somehow taking out Western this coming week is that in doing so they would also knock off Guelph. 
in the process. So, you yeah. know, I'm sure they're just salivating at the prospect of that. And Wouldn't that be a nice oh, uh, two birds, one stone? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the birds are uh, very big, though, and the stone is <laughs> it's not going to hurt them. Oh, man. Um, and so, then, yeah, moving on. Oh, yeah. no, And then and Waterloo visiting York. Uh, you, yeah. you want to call this one? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take the uh, the uh, Waterloo Warriors, uh, uh, I believe they're called. Okay, uh, yeah. Trey Ford, Tyler Schnowski. Three years ago, this was an interesting game. Not anymore. No. Sorry, York. But, you know, we'll still, you know, Hunchak's still putting up numbers. Um, yeah, no. I mean, maybe maybe they make it into a bit of a shootout. It's This is kind of like what we a microcosm of maybe what I hoped Waterloo taking on Western was going to be, where it's like, we know the outcome, but we also know that the team that we're expecting to lose can possibly put up some points against them, but maybe it will turn out as a facsimile of the Waterloo Western game where Waterloo runs right over them. So we'll see how it bears out. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll bring Waterloo to four and two. So that, that gives them a little bit of wiggle room. And with the tiebreaker over Laurier, there are, you know, some scenarios that they're protected by and having lost a game to Carlton, you know, Carlton looking right now to finish in a place where, you know, losing a tiebreaker to them won't knock you out of the playoffs. So yeah, uh, Waterloo looks like they're, they're safely on their way to being in the playoffs for the first time in, forever and it might even turn out to be a home playoff game which would be so sweet to see so, the, yeah that'd be awesome yeah so uh that that is your upcoming week in the oua um why don't we bring you around the rest of the country really quickly and just have a look at the scores let's do it we have few canada west games this week manitoba took on alberta uh they beat them as you'd expect but it was closer than you'd expect alberta's been a bit of a dumpster fire this year yeah we kind of said some uh, not so nice words about those golden bears a couple weeks ago but you know put up yeah. a good fight and i'll say some more they suck but <laughs> but um i mean they they put up a yeah they did they put up a good fight it wasn't a pretty game they, they ran the ball pretty well though uh and i think that's that's kind of their dna last year they ran the ball extremely well ed ilnecki was the head Crichton winner if i'm not mistaken last year or was it the year before no it was last year it was noah picton the year before and they i mean they were just a great team so they had good offensive linemen they had a good running back this year uh it's not quite the same thing so there's that on manitoba they also ran the ball pretty well they threw the ball pretty well too des catelier had uh 32 of 39 303 yards four touchdowns one pick so pretty effective stuff there you go you know canada west again like so alberta is the worst team in canada west but they're still not horrendous yeah right like they're they're bad but they're not that bad so people can hang with them i think manitoba is uh is the the second worst team but but substantially better this was yeah. a closer game uh some of the other games that were a little closer well calgary ubc so this was a game this was actually a saturday game the other games were played on friday this game ended 32 28 bit of a surprise there bit of a surprise considering yeah. it was 57 to 7 in that first matchup just a few weeks ago between yeah. these two teams. Maybe this isn't the surprise. Maybe the surprise was that UBC was so bad before. True. Either way, uh, Calgary won the game, but you know, not, not for a lack of trying on UBC's part. Adam Sinagra had sort of what looks like a human game on his part with only 327 yards passing and two touchdowns. Yeah. If you haven't Jeez. been keeping up, he threw for like 560 last week against uh, – U of S, Saskatchewan, and like five touchdowns. He was nuts yeah. all over the place. And to your point about, um, to what you mentioned about whether it was a bad game for UBC or whether this was, you know, whatever it has, has caused these two games to be seemingly so different. That's kind of the fun thing with, you know, these smaller conferences where they get to play each other a little bit more. And, you know, you have to make those adjustments in such a bigger 
um, you know, it's the coaching and being able to make those adjustments is 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 paramount. And we know UBC has great coaching. You know, we yeah. know they have obviously Blake Nell yeah. is a is a fantastic head coach, and he won the Vanny Cup with them the first year he was there. And they have Steph Potasic, who we all know is as one of the sort of the, the great offensive minds of Canadian football, and was with you know the Hamilton Tiger Cats last year. So and well and obviously McMaster Mac, for yeah. forever. Yeah. Uh, so you know, like it's just a really great coaching staff, and and Pat Tracy is their their defensive coordinator. So. UBC is going to get their stuff corrected, and Michael O'Connor had a bounce-back game, 330 yards passing, two touchdowns. <laughs> Michael O'Connor's good game is about Adam Sinagra's bad game, <laughs> statistically. Yeah. Travel Pinto, our boy, Metro Toronto guy. Woo! Wow, that was loud. And he had 13 receptions for 162 yards there and a touchdown. Go. He looked really good, obviously. He's a good player. And the last game of the week, the Regina at Saskatchewan game at the U of S, where it was snowing, by the way. Gotcha. Because snow in mid-September in Saskatchewan, is northern a, Saskatchewan. Is a thing, apparently. It's a thing. Yeah. Uh, Saskatchewan's cold. Hmm. And the weather seemed to play some effect, or have some effect, I should say. Regina just couldn't get anything going. I mean, uh, they, 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 got some, they got some yards through the air, but also Noah picked in through three interceptions. and It just looked ugly. It looked ugly from the very beginning. Uh, Saskatchewan, yeah, they, they mostly kept the turnovers in check. Three touchdown passes and 200 and 283 yards through the air for Kyle Simeons, excuse me. And uh, they also ran the ball effectively. Both teams kind of ran the ball fairly effectively, but obviously uh, U of S is, is a better team. Colton Clawson, one of their standout receivers, a, a big monstrous slot receiver guy. He got injured in the game, but he had two touchdowns and 99 yards receiving before that. So Damn. hopefully he's okay because that's you know sort of an all-Canadian type player. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, yeah, I mean these are these are two teams that are they're very solid teams. They're they're fun to watch. I would you know I would say I'm not sure either of these teams can contend with Calgary and sort of a Canada West finals, but they'll be they'll be in the mix. They'll be in the mix. Like it's it's probably one of them that'll be playing them in that finals. I just think Calgary is a better team. Well, Sask has definitely been hitting their stride of late, and as we've mentioned with some of the teams closer to home in the OUA, is that sometimes or. A lot of the time, it's not about how you start, but it's about how you finish. So if you can get hot at the right time, m- maybe Calgary's still too big of a jump to be able to think that they could take them down, but you know, maybe make it interesting. Yeah, and I mean, this is a conference that's so close from top to bottom, save Alberta, but it's so close from sort of the first, second, third, fourth, fifth team, typically, mm. that these teams are going to be battle-tested yeah. by the time they get to play in a national semifinal. So you have to, like, that's one of the reasons you have to stay very... Um, I guess fired up's the term in practice. If you're, if you're Western or if you're Laurier or if you're anyone who has a chance to make it to the semis, because these teams are playing good teams every week yeah. out there. So there's that. They're gonna come in hot for sure. Um, so that's that's out. That's can. That's the wrap for Can West. Uh, should we take a look at the uh, RSEQ? Yeah. A uh, couple games out there. One. Uh, oof, bit of a stinker. Montreal uh, took on Concordia and uh, it. Didn't go so well um, to the tune of a 74-3 to victory for uh, Le Caribbean. Oh, man. Um, that's like – that's Western York bad. That's – yeah. Oof. That might have been worse, actually. Or was it? Eh. I guess at that point, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think it was 76-3 to for the Western York. Yeah. So, I mean, that one – Doesn't really matter. You can't really – you know, there's 
there's no really differentiating games where you have a 70-point golf. What I don't really understand here, just taking a quick peek at some stats, is how uh, Dimitri Morand, or Moron, I'm not sure, uh, the pronunciation, the quarterback from Montreal, and maybe these stats are incorrect, um, goes only 11 for 22 with 126 yards, and yet they put up a 74-burger? Yeah, that's hard to do. That's... Good on their run game. Did they run for 100,000 yards? How many pick sixes did they have? Oh, my goodness. I kind of want to dig a little deeper into this one. Oh, boy. But, uh, yeah. How'd Laval do this week? Oh, Laval, of course. They had the Sunday game where they uh, – a, a nice little landslide for them, too. Not quite the Montreal Concordia-type victory, but they took out uh, McGill 53-7 to in Quebec City um, or wherever Laval plays. I forget. But um, that's it. That's the one. Play. Boom. Um, I think that was was that the wrap for the RCQ. I believe just those two games this week. There you go. There you go. There you have it. Uh, Mount Allison lost to Saint uh, FX thirty-five to twenty-seven. Saint FX. I mean, I I don't I don't really know. I don't have much to comment on these teams anymore because I just don't have any clue. I don't really watch these games. But there you go. 35 to 27. St. Mary's beat Acadia. St. Mary's has remained, I guess, now perfect on the season. Acadia obviously won the conference last year. Didn't uh, prove to have much of a showing in the national semis with Western, but I guess you never know. I, I, I kind of I see I see the uh, the U Sports top 10 rankings from last week having put St. Mary's in the top 10, and I just wonder like we do realize this is the same AUS still. Yeah, I, I mean it. They're good players. It's not a shot at any individual player, but just the conference as a whole is not very good. So I don't really see how you can put them in a ranking system ahead of a number an of average, yeah. an average team in the OUA That's or true. Canada West or well. Yeah. There's really only two teams in the RCQ. Fair enough. But either way, those two teams are very strong and they're probably gonna be seating one of these teams or one of these teams at these other conferences in those semifinals down the road. And uh, well, well, yeah, because because the RCQ plays the AUS this year. Oh, okay. You can be fairly certain that one of Laval or Montreal will, will be, be in the Vanier Cup. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to see who's going to be taking them on when we finally when we get there eventually. But for now, uh, that's our wrap around U uh, Sports for Week Five, and of course, we gave you our review for upcoming Week Six in the OUA as well as our reviews for all those games. Um, so that just about that does it for us here today. Um, any last notes for uh, the people out there, Eddie? Yeah, there is a player um, on the University of Saskatchewan whose last name is Lit Jukes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's a, it's the best football name there is. Wait, Joel what, Lit Jukes. What does he play? He's a receiver. No way. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine how wasted that have been if he was like some like defensive back or something? Yeah. Oh, Anyways, man. so that that is your uh, your name of the week, and uh, I've been sitting on that for a couple weeks now. Oh gosh, that's incredible stuff. Uh, good on like his parents for like getting together, realizing yeah. that they had something in the making there. I agree. To I the mean, to the Lits and the Jukes. Yeah. L'chaim. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I. I guess that does it for us here. That's that's what I have to leave you on. That's, you know, lit jukes. Keep on doing your thing. Once again, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the social medias. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Play. So if you are on Android, I've had a few Android users be like, how can I listen to your podcast, bro? I'm like, we're there. 
we're there for you. And of course, as always, if it comes down to it, you can check us out on SoundCloud. We're there as always. Yeah, we're SoundCloud rappers. All and face tats. <laughs> oh, they're coming. Um, so that's it. We'll see you next week at the 55. <laughs>